which is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruick. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 28. The Apostle John, in his remaining years, in his elder years, writes this to the church of the day and to us. Now little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of Him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet it will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. John's message is uh, actually pretty simple. Live with and for Him because he's coming back again. In his elder years, John gets right to it. There isn't a whole lot of pomp and fanfare or fluff in the Apostle John's words. The knowledge, not only that when you die, you will face God, but that it's possible that you will live to the point where Jesus will come back so you won't have to die to see him face to face it's possible that you might be alive when that happens that that fact that reality should should do something in the hearts and in the minds of his children it ought to john would say motivate us to purity Uh, if you think about it the return of jesus accomplishes at least two things On the one hand, it could strike fear in your heart. On the other hand, it could bring great comfort to your heart. Uh, Certainly, the the thought of Jesus' return um, brings great comfort. I think, though, in the heart and in the mind of the children of God, of you and I, those who know Him, I think it could really accomplish both, the fear and the comfort. Let, Let me explain. Certainly, the thought of Jesus' imminent return and us meeting him face to face, having not gone through death, certainly the, the chance of that reality brings great comfort because all, all the pains of this world, all the struggles of this world come to an end and now our Savior is back and we get to see him face to face. We get to fall on his neck. Certainly, that brings great comfort. And, and I wouldn't suggest that the children of God uh, live in any sort of state of fear of their Savior. Uh, Certainly that's not what God or John wants for us. But 
there is, I think, and I, I think John suggests it even here, a healthy measure of reverence and, a, and a, a sense of sobriety that comes with the fact that we will see him face to face one day, whether in death or at his coming. John is going to say, children, the thought of Jesus appearing right here, right now, ought to lovingly move you to increased purity. Verse 3 of chapter 3, And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. More on that in a moment. Billy Graham tells of the time when newly elected John F. Kennedy asked him to go play golf. That'd be kind of cool, right? Yeah, President Collier. Let's go play a little golf. And so they are in their motorcade on the way to a uh, probably private course somewhere in Florida. And abruptly, Billy says, uh, Kennedy calls for the car to be pulled over to the side and stopped. Uh, even the engine is shut off, and Kennedy turns in his seat to Billy and says, I- I've got a question. I've got a question I have to ask you. Is it true that Jesus will return someday? What a question, <laughs> right? What a question. I mean, can you imagine, you know, being on the other side of the limo or whatever they were in, you know, and just having the opportunity not only to sit there with the, the new president and to hear the question that is on his heart and mind, right? But then you get to hear the answer from Billy Graham. I mean, that would be pretty cool. Of course, Billy assured him that Jesus is going to return. He reminds him that all the Christian churches have affirmed in their creeds, even even the church that Kennedy would be a part of, the Catholic Church, even your own church, Mr. President, affirms in its creeds that Jesus is, is to return. Three decades later, as uh, Billy Graham put out his autobiography in which this story is told, at Pages 729 and 730, Billy Graham writes these words in his autobiography. These are the final words of a lengthy story. Billy says, I don't know the future, but I do know this. The best is yet to come. Heaven awaits us, and that will be far, far more glorious than anything we could ever imagine. The Bible says we are children of God and it has not appeared yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. That sound familiar? This is the hope of every believer, Billy says. It is my hope and I pray it's your hope. I know that soon my life will be over. I thank God for it and all that He has given me in this life. But I look forward to heaven. I look forward to the reunion with friends and loved ones that have gone on before. I look forward to heaven's freedom from sorrow and pain, but most of all, I look forward to seeing Christ and bowing before Him in praise and gratitude for all He has done for us and for using me on this earth by His grace just as I am. Just as I am is a fitting title to Billy's autobiography. Amen. Um, question: Are you are you looking forward to seeing 
Christ. I mean, maybe if you're honest, at least in your own heart, whether you would confess it to others or not, maybe you're not, you're not ready. Maybe you're not, you're not sure. Um, about three years after Kennedy's question to Billy, of course, the man was assassinated. And at his funeral, Cardinal Cushing, who was a family friend of the Kennedys, he had uh, married the Kennedys, he had baptized the children, he spoke these words, and they're from 1 Thessalonians 4.16. They're powerful in light of Kennedy's question to Billy just a few years earlier. Cardinal Cushing quotes rather boldly for the whole nation to hear. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Can you imagine? Uh, Those are important words, aren't they? 1 Thessalonians 4. So do me a favor. Take your bulletin or some other scrap of paper or use your ribbon and and mark 1 John chapter 2. We're going to come back to that. But flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 because I want to show you these words. They are words many pastors default to when Christians die and for good reason. Paul himself gives the reason in the passage for these words. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13, he's going to say that he does not want the church uninformed. That's Paul's heart for the church in desperate times. I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you not to have the information you need to have. Later down in verse 18, he'll say that these words will bring you comfort as you share them with one another. So they must be important. What we find in 1 Thessalonians 4 is... is Really the same context, it's the, it's the same occasion of which John speaks of in 1 John chapter 2. Namely, it's, it's of the appearing of Jesus. And when you look at these words, you know, John in 1 John chapter 2, he reflects back upon the occasion of when Jesus will return. But Paul goes a little bit further. Paul explains that occasion in detail, and it's, it's worth our look back. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. But we do not want you to be misinformed or uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Let me stop right there and explain just a couple of things to you. He's going to be talking here about grief. A helpful subject. The Christians in his day experienced grief much like you and I do. They had lost loved ones. Many of them had lost loved ones for the cause of the kingdom. And so it was very fitting that Paul, who would be lost to the cause himself, would write, would write to those who are, who are in pain, who need to know what to do with their, with their grief who needs some knowledge, some facts, some truth in which to wrap around their grief. And so he gives them these words, but we do not want you to be uninformed. I don't want you not to have the information you need, brothers, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Now let me stop right there because the prerequisite 
to our hope is our belief in Jesus that he has died and risen again. And so no, nothing else that Paul will say here and nothing that we'll go back and, and look again at what John says will matter to you if, you if you cannot amen, verse 14, that you believe that Jesus died and rose again. If you do not believe that Jesus died and that God the Father birthed him again out of the grave, then there's no way that you can be born again yourself. All the other items that he's going to list here that are going to come at the, at the appearing of Jesus make no sense to you and, and they carry no weight and they bring no comfort because you, you believe the very foundation not to be true. So if you hear nothing else that I say for the rest of the day, if, all, only, if all you can do today is wrestle with those words, with that truth at the outset of what Paul has to say in this section, that Jesus died and rose again, and that you have to come to a belief in that. If, that, if you get stuck there, then just stay right there. You can, you can focus your heart and mind on, on that phrase for the rest of the day. You'll get an opportunity to weave back in at the end. And that's a stopping point for us. Because without that, none of the, none of the rest of what he says brings any, any weight of comfort for us. Now go back a verse because I want to explain who these people are that he refers to that are asleep. Maybe you would ask, brethren, about those who are asleep so that we do not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. You grieve because of someone who has passed from time into eternity, someone who's passed from life into death. Why would, he, why would he say they're asleep? I remember at my grandmother's funeral, I think it was probably the first funeral that I went to as a child. I remember not going in for a long time. I just kind of stayed outside. And then finally I went in, and at some point, I don't remember who it was, but some, some older, uh, well-meaning lady had said to me as she saw that I was, I was heartbroken for my, my grandmother's passing, uh, she, she said to me, don't worry, honey, she's just asleep. To which I thought, well, someone should wake her up. Right? I mean, that's a, that's a little bit dangerous of an image, but, but Paul loves that imagery. And it's helpful for us if we understand it correctly. There are some who are asleep, and I don't want you to be misinformed. I don't want you to be uninformed, church, about those who are asleep, Paul says. Those who are asleep, meaning those who, are, those who have died. Because if you don't get this information about those who have died, listen, you're going you're gonna to cry and you're going to weep and you're going to grieve, but you're going to do it with no hope at all. The inference here is, is that you don't have to do that. We have hope for you. I'm going to share it with you. I don't want you to be without that information so that those who have died, you really understand that in a, in a sense, they're just asleep. Now, in what sense are they asleep? You have to understand, you have to understand your makeup. You are made up of three component parts, your body, your spirit, and your soul. For the sake of simplicity in this message, let's just put you into two categories, your material and your immaterial, your physical and your non-physical. What you can see and what you can't see. And so let's put spirit and soul as one and put your body as the other. You are made up of your body and your spirit soul. The material and the immaterial, that which you can see and that which is invisible to the eye. When, when Paul says, I don't want you ignorant, I don't want you uninformed about those who are asleep, when he's referring to the sleep, he's talking about the sleep that is their body. Because the Bible also says, and he would say, 1 Corinthians 5, 8, anybody know? 
that, that when we are absent from the body, the material, we are where? Yeah, and I think he even says we're at home with the Lord. Even better, isn't it? We're at home with the Lord. So in an instant, automatically, to be absent from our material half means that we are present with the Lord. That's, that's good news. Now, some of you have come from, from different traditions, different faith backgrounds. Um, there is no intermediary state. There is no temporary. There is no hold. There is no purgatory. For those who would suggest that there is this other place, ask them how they deal with the 1 Corinthians passage. Ask them how is it Second Corinthians five eight. Yeah, ask them how they're going to deal with some of these passages. But maybe you just ask them, well, what verse is that? Where do you get that? All right. So for those who are asleep, he wants to give us some information. If we if we hold on to this information, if we understand the truth here, and he says, then then we don't have to cry. We will cry, but we don't have to cry as those who have no hope. We have a reservoir of hope yet still. Verse 14, 1 Thessalonians. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, remember that's a prerequisite for the rest of this meaning anything, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. What does it mean to bring with him? In context here, he's talking about Jesus' death and, and rebirth, his resurrection, his rising. And it says that the Father will bring with him from where? From, in context, from the grave. His death put him in the grave and he raises him up. And then Paul goes on to say, God will bring with him, bring with Jesus from the grave. God will raise up from the grave with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And so it's a helpful way to understand It's a helpful picture for us to understand that those who have gone before us, those who have passed away, who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, in a sense, their body has been put put to rest. It's it's sleeping, but understand they are very much already present in their spirit soul, in the immaterial, present with the Lord, automatically in a moment. Okay? Verse 15. For this we say to you. Does that mean? By the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. There was some question in the church in Paul's day when he wrote this as to what would happen when Jesus comes back and what's going to happen for those who have already gone before us. Because remember, they're, they're waiting for the imminent return of Jesus. Those who are in Christ and still alive are waiting and hoping for his return to come and to come soon. And so you've got you to put yourself in their place. They're going to be thinking, well, what about those people who have already gone? Those who are already asleep, what's going to happen? And here in this passage, as I said earlier, Paul, Paul just goes into almost step by step. Here's what's going to happen. So you understand. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's what this appearing that John will, will later refer to, and we'll go back to that. Here's what this appearing looks like in detail, all right? So if we can grasp this, here's why we're doing this. If we can grasp this, if we understand better what this appearing is going to look like, then, then we'll understand why John refers to it in 1 John chapter 2. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, and that's possible, that you and I could be alive and that Jesus comes back. It's very possible. 
Nothing else has to happen. We're not waiting on anything. The return of Jesus Christ is imminent. He could come back today. Here's, here's a fact, though. We will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In fact, verse 16, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven. Imagine this in your mind's eye. Here's how He'll come. With a shout. Whether it's Him making the shout or somebody else making the shout, we, we can't tell. But He will come with a shout. Along with the shout, there will be a voice of the archangel. I don't know exactly what that's going to sound like, but as you read through Revelation, it's going to be impressive. Whatever that sound is of the voice of the archangel, it's going to be one that gets our attention. So along with the shout, there comes this voice of the archangel, and along with that comes this trumpet of God. And at that moment, he says at the end of verse 16, the dead in Christ will rise first. So here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to come back. There's going to be a shout. There's going to be an archangel, his voice. There's going to be a trumpet of God. The whole world in an instant is going to, is going to understand that something's happening right here, right now. All attention will be on the heavens and the returning king. But just so that you do not grieve as those who have no hope for those who have gone before you in Christ, those whose bodies are asleep even though they are present with the Lord in their spirit soul, guess what's going to happen? Check this out. Before you and I get lifted off, if we're, if we're lucky enough to still be here in the flesh, before that happens with you and I, guess what? Those who have gone before you get to meet their body in the sky first. And I don't know how this is going to happen, but you can, you can just imagine it in your own mind's eye. From wherever their, their body, the physical, the material that has been decaying, wherever, wherever that is laid to rest, however we have done that, it will somehow, some way, God is powerful enough to do it, don't worry, He will somehow bring them back together. At the shout, at the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet, the dead in Christ will rise first. What does that mean? It means their body will rise. Their body will come from the grave. If you get eaten by a shark, your body will come from inside the shark's belly. All right? And however, listen now, however it happens, that God will redeem it. And He will fix it. And He'll make it right, don't worry. So the Lord Himself will descend. There will be a shout, a voice, a trumpet. Graves will open. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then, verse 17, here's what's next. We who are alive, that's you and I if we are so lucky. You and I who remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. We're going to catch up with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. There'll be no, there'll be no chance of separation ever again. There'll be no delay. There'll be no, there'll be no time frame in between. We'll be with the Lord in that moment. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. It's a helpful passage. More words from Paul. 1 Corinthians 15. If you have a Bible term, you should see this in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 15:51 says this Behold I tell you a mystery or I reveal to you 
Something that has been mysterious up to this point. We will not all sleep. Now you know who those people are. But we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Imperishable or incorruptible, if you want to translate it more literally. And we will be changed. For this perishable or this corruptible, this physical, this, this body, the material part of you, will have put on the imperishable or the incorruptible. And this mortal will have put on immortality. Then we will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Isaiah 25. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Hosea 13. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Do those those words, does that little bit of information, does that... There's that story of how it's going to unfold, how the appearing of Jesus is going to be. Does it bring any comfort or hope? I think it does. I think it does. Back to 1 Thessalonians 4. We who are alive and remain are caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Verse 18, look at what he says. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Don't be uninformed. As those who have no hope do not grieve. Grieve as those who have hope for those who have gone before. And take these words, take this story of how it's going to happen, the facts of what's going to happen at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Take those words and comfort one another with them. Now, the only ones that are not comforted by those words are those who are not ready. And maybe you're not ready because you don't even believe that Jesus died and rose again. As I said earlier, you can't be born again if you don't believe that Jesus was born out of the grave. So number one, maybe you don't find comfort in those words because, because you've, you've not stopped long enough to consider that the Savior of the world has come, has died, was buried, but was raised from the grave. And so the idea of you being raised up really, really is just a fantasy. It's just kind of a fairy tale. There's no real, no real weight to it. There's no hope for you. Because we need Jesus to have been raised. We need him to have been born out of the grave again. If there's any hope for us. So maybe, maybe you're not ready because you don't believe. But maybe you're not ready because you do believe, but you've done very little. You've done very little to make yourself ready for His appearing. I mean, if His appearing were today, if His appearing were in a moment, if He if He cracked our door, are you ready? And to the words that that that. Paul and John share with us of the appearing of Jesus. Do they bring comfort or do they, even for you Christian, do they, do they bring a little angst maybe? I mean, if he showed up today, I mean, 
We want him walking in on us today. How you doing? How would you characterize your relationship with God? Consistent and fruitful? Or sporadic and parched? The thought of his appearing, maybe it should create some angst in us. Even for us who are the children of God. Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite preachers, one of my favorite teachers, storytellers, he asks this question, or rather makes this statement. You have life in which to get ready. Beyond life, you have no further opportunity to get ready. Are you ready? Uh, now that you have a better understanding of what his appearing will look like, let's go back to 1 John to see how John uses his appearing to motivate us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. Now, little children, and we get our command in the first verse of this section... By the way, the chapters and the verses that you have listed in your copy of the Holy Scriptures, understand that they're not inspired. And so if you want to put chapter 3 in a better place, right, uh, put chapter 3 at verse 28 of chapter 2 because that's the start of maybe a better break in John's thinking. Now, if that creates any, any issues in your heart and mind, just understand that in the original, in the original recording in the Greek and the Hebrew, there, there's not even punctuation, okay? So... So those little numbers or the big numbers in your copy are, are not inspired by God. And so it's okay if you move them around a little bit. All right? Little children abide in him. We get, we get the same command that he repeats at the end of his last, his last passage, verse 27. Just as he has taught you, abide in him. Verse 28. Now little children abide in him. It's the Greek word meno. It means to abide or continue or to stay at it. It's in the present imperative, so it means keep on abiding. Continually abiding, residing, living, sticking with. Continually. One commentator put it this way. It's long obedience in the same direction. I think that's a helpful way to understand. The command. Little children... Stick with him so that when he appears, and he's going to mention this appearing, this same occasion from the Apostle Paul. He's going to mention this appearing twice in just a short, in just a short conversation. So that when he appears, we may have, and what's the word? Confidence. That's John's. That's, that's the old Apostle's heart for you and I. Is that when he comes, we'll have confidence. Instead of, what does he say? And not shrink away from him in shame. At his, literally, more literally, at his presence. At his coming. At the end of verse 28, that's the same word that Paul used. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's the word parousia. It means his arrival. At the insertion of the presence of the Son. Returned. At his appearing, when he comes, I don't, want you, I don't want you to have to shrink away in shame or in fear. I want you to be able to stand in great confidence. Why? Because you've, you've abided in him. 
for this long period of time, consistently. Now, that doesn't mean that you've done some great mission work. It doesn't mean you've done some great ministry work. It doesn't mean you've preached some great sermon. It doesn't mean you've shared the gospel a set number of times. It doesn't mean you've read your Bible every day necessarily. It doesn't mean you've spent X number of hours in prayer on average daily. It doesn't matter that you are a member of some church. It doesn't matter any of those sort of things. It's have you abided in Him. It's pretty simple. John doesn't complicate things, remember? If so, at his appearing, you can take great confidence. You could step forward at his appearing. Welcome him at his appearing instead of shrinking back in shame. That's not, that's not what the Apostle John wants for us. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, and the inference here is, of course you know he's righteous. He is. If you know he's righteous, and he is, then what? You know everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. What is your job? What is my job between now and his appearing? Or between now and your death if he tarries longer? What is your job? Your job is to abide in him. That's the command. But it's also, look at the word that gets translated here in our English. It's to practice righteousness because he is righteousness. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? What what do we do? What's our game plan between now and then? It's to practice. It's to practice being more like Him. Pretty simple. Everyone who is practicing righteousness shows that they have been born of Him. It's, It's the word for begotten. Maybe your scripture translates it. Begotten. Everyone who's been birthed of Him, begotten of Him, who is a child of His, Practices looking like Him. Keep going. Chapter 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. The word see is the word for behold. It's John shouting in, in proclamation. Look at, look at this. Look at how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. What is, what is His definition of how great a love that the Father has bestowed upon, not just given us, not just shown us, not just handed to us, but bestowed, lavished upon us, poured out, dumped on us. Look at the love, John said. Just, Just stop for a second. Behold, look at the love that the Father has dumped upon you. Here it is, that you, you would be called His children. I get to be called his child, and such we are, John says. We are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, verse 2, now we are children of God. He repeats it. If you didn't get it the first time, how does God show us his love? By causing us, allowing us, making a way for us to become the children of God. The offspring. Those that he refers to in the end of verse 29, those who are born of him, those who are begotten of him. We get to be begotten of him. That's the great love of the Father, is that he he makes us his children by the blood of the Son. We're not, we are children of God, verse 2, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. You know, John kind of admits here, I think, that we don't exactly know what's, what's going to happen on the other side. And Paul gives us some details. John refers to the appearing. But listen, when he comes, I don't want you to, 
don't want you to shrink away in fear. We who are the children of God, do you understand the love that He has bestowed upon us? He's begotten us. We get to stand in confidence before our Father. And we don't know exactly what all is going to happen after that. I mean, we just don't. And we're probably not going to be looking like fat little babies and puffy diapers on a, on a cloud with harps and bows and arrows and, you know, that sort of thing. I, I don't know who came up with that. That's probably not going to be it, right? Amen? I hope it's not it. We don't know. Here's what we do know, he says, verse 2. We know that when we see him, we know that when he appears, we will be like him. That thing we've been practicing... We'll be transformed. Remember 1 Corinthians? We read in, the, in, a, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That which has been corruptible is becoming going to come incorruptible. Even our body, as it matches for those who have gone before us, even, even as that body comes out of the grave, it's going to go from material to uh, this, this perfect material thing. It, it's going it's to be able to, if we look at the life of Jesus upon his return, we get some hints about what it's going to be. I mean, we're going to be able to go through material objects with this new body. I mean, it's going to be pretty cool. I don't think we're even going to need wings to fly. We're just going to get to move, man. Right? I mean, that, that's the picture of Jesus when he came back from, from the Father raising him up. So if that's any indication of what it's going to be like, oh, we don't know fully, but, but guess what? We get to be like him. When he appears, we are like him. Because we see him then, finally, just as he is. Right now, the scriptures would say we see it kind of in a murky way, in a hidden way, kind of, kind of in a dull way. We don't get to see it fully and clearly. We're practicing to be more like him. But at that moment, when he appears, John knows, Paul knows that we become like him. The practice is done. The deal is finished. You become like him. All those who have gone before, that corrupted material, it gets, it gets perfected. Your body on the way up, if you're still here, it gets perfected. So the hair you've lost, it'll come back. The weight you gained, it'll go away. The things that have, that have you know, fallen out of place get lifted back up, right? I don't know what all these going to be, but, but we're going to be like Him. In the meantime, we're practicing. We're abiding in Him. Verse 3. And everyone who has this hope, everyone who has this hope, it kind of echoes... Paul's words, and I want, brethren, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to grieve as those who have no what? Hope. Everyone who has this hope, what hope? The hope of his appearing. And the confidence that we will be like him, that we'll be able to stand in confidence before him, that we'll not have to shrink away in shame. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him. And here's how he ends. Here's how he ends this, this passage. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself. Now that, that's the rub. That's the challenge. Uh, that's the to-do. That's the action plan. With the knowledge of what's going to happen, in detail and in general, you ought to be motivated, Christian. Child of God, begotten one of the Father, you who will be raised just as the Son was raised, you who will be made perfect just as the Son was made perfect in His flesh, that is. Guess what? There's, there's still practice. He's not come back yet. There's still the command to abide. But guess what? 
just as Paul ended. We, we don't have to do it without any hope. We have great confidence. Comfort one another with these words. In the meantime, we purify. Why? Because he is pure. You notice the parallel there? What did he say that Jesus is in verse 29? He is righteous. What did he say we are to be? We're to be righteous. Why? Because he is righteous. Verse 3 of chapter 3, what is he? He's pure. What are we to be? We're to be pure. We're, we're to start to look like our older brother. I think of the old hymn, one of my favorite lines of any hymn of all time. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Everyone who has this hope fixed on Him. Fixed on Him. You know, as we abide in Him, as we understand the confidence we have, as we practice the righteousness because He's righteous, and in that moment we know that we'll become just like Him, but now we want to become more like Him. We want to do everything we can to, to bolster our own righteousness, to become more like our older brother so that we are more like that which the Father has designed us to be. We, we, we practice our purity. This isn't just some pie-in-the-sky idea of Jesus' return. Jesus' return has practical implications for you and I. What's the command? Abide. What do we, what's the game plan? Practice. Practice for what you're going to be. Do it in light of His great love that He's called you children, begotten ones. That in, the, in that moment, you, you're going to be transformed. Your bodies will be fixed. Those who have gone before, don't worry about them. <laughs> Those are going to be taken care of even before you. In light of all that, listen, church, let's have purity. How about that? Let's have purity right here, right now. Let's do all we can to look more like him right here, right now. Story goes that when Michelangelo ordered the, uh, the large marble block that he would carve his David out of, story goes that they delivered it and one of his helpers was, uh, was there with Michelangelo and uh, Michelangelo walks all around this, this block and he's marveling at this just giant rock at the moment and he's smiling and he's he, he's he's looking at it from every angle and he get, he's getting excited and uh and his helper one of the guys who who brought this giant piece of marble is a little bit confused they're like look how beautiful it is well uh, okay i mean it's a big big hunk of marble and uh the story goes that michelangelo says oh i forgot you can't see. You can't see what I see. I see David. I see my David. Um, you don't see that yet. Later on, after David had been sculpted many years down the road, it said that uh, someone made the comment, as, as many would come and marvel at how in the world did he get David out of, out of that? I mean, how did he get it just so lifelike and so perfect? Uh, one, would, one would 
tongue-in-cheek, jokingly say, well, all he had to do was get rid of all the pieces that weren't David. (laughs) Okay, makes some sense. He chipped away at it. He chipped away at, at all the things that weren't David. How will our Lord make you into His likeness? The answer? He will just chip away everything that isn't just like Jesus. That's what's going on, hopefully, in your life now. A chipping away of the things that aren't righteousness. A chipping away of the things that aren't that aren't pure. If He's righteous, if He's pure, then I pray that the Father is at work chipping away all those things that are not righteous and not pure, that are not just like His Son. But hey, let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me go one step further. Why not? Why, why not? How, how, about we, how about we start chipping away now? I mean, in the moment... In, in, in just a moment, in just a twinkling of an eye, it could happen today. I mean, he's going to make us just like the sun. That's going to happen. And I mean, think of how great his love is for us. He would call us his children. He would call us his children, begotten ones. So how, how, about, how, about, how about you and I today, even, even before you leave, how about we, we chip a little bit of that unrighteousness or those things that are impurities in our own life, in our own heart, maybe in your own mind. How about we chip those away even now before we go? Father God, we take a few moments right here to say that our desire is for You. We long for You, Lord. We long for Your Son to be the mirror image that, that, we, that we measure up to. We, we long to look like Jesus, we long to be righteous, I guess is what we're saying. We long to be pure, just as, just as John suggested. Father, we, we know that you're, going to, uh, that you're going to fix all of our imperfections. You're going to chip away everything that isn't Jesus in us or on us or around us. You're going to, you're going to knock all the rough edges off. You're going to do that work. And, and in the final moment, if we're still here, when those who are dead rise in that, in, that amazing, in that amazing display of your power, at the shout, at the voice, at the archangel, at the trumpet, all, all this magical, we know it's going to happen, Lord, but because of your great love for us, because you have called us your children, you have loved us so, our desire, our yearning, Lord, is to do some of that work ourselves. Give us the strength, Lord. Give us the strength even right now to start chipping away at the hardness maybe of our heart, at the sin that, that, that so has easily beset us. At, at, at Lord, the thing that, uh, that we've hidden from everybody else. Only we know about it. Nobody else knows. It's not hurting anybody. And so we, we keep petting that sin, Lord. And we just, we just, we just keep it hidden and we, just, we, keep it, we keep it safe for ourselves. Let, let, let us... Let's have the strength and the power to chip that away, Lord. The, the anxiety in our own mind, maybe about the future, maybe about the losses we've had. 
Lord, help, help us to chip away any hardness of our own heart, any disbelief, any, any wrong belief. Lord, help us not to be misinformed or uninformed. Lord, chip away. Help us, Lord, chip away, even now. Even now. We say, come, Lord, soon. When we come to that moment, Lord, we want to stand tall and bold. I, I don't want it to be a day when I feel like i got to shrink away. Not me, not a child of the King. And so right here today, before we leave, we make this last song our prayer that, that our heart is to yearn for you. Right here, right now, Lord. Make us more like your son than when we got here. For your glory and for your honor. We pray in Jesus' name and in his power. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.